Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hello, everyone. Well, I am very excited. I have got Pat Iyer with us today, or if you're American, it's Iyer. Is that how we pronounce that? I-Y-E-R. And Pat has written tons and tons of books for the medical industry on legalities and, and so on. That's one thing. She's also a book coach. But not only that, she has her own story of resilience, of uh, losing a million dollars and having to deal with the fallout from that and coming back from that again, back when a million bucks was a lot of money, uh, <laughs> we can say that. But um, I'm, I'm just so interested to hear the backstories of people. Yes, we will talk about what she does for a living and, and so on, but when people are really successful, it is great to hear their backstories and the grit that it took to see them go where they're going and then where they are now. So in the meantime, let's just have a quick, I'm getting faster at this, but uh, here we go. We'll be right back after this and you can meet Pat. The strongest prison bars are in your head. Leaders and teams, it's time for a jailbreak. And we're back. Pat, hello, and welcome to Trish TV. Thank you, Trish. That was a very impressive intro. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that. Got my attention. Well, there you go. Um, but you have a very impressive story to tell, but and, and so interesting. And uh, as I was saying with with talking to you about before we started in Australia. We currently have a royal commission, which uh, is is a huge. It's about as important as you can get of an investigation into our aged care system, which has not functioned well, and people have been, you know, terribly mistreated in many places. And then other places have been great, but it's just a frightening thought um, of of medical care, and uh, it's going to be improved and and shaped up. Uh, and especially, I guess, with the ageing population of, you know, with baby boomers retiring and um, dementia coming on and so on and they're needing to be in care. But you have spent your much of your career in that very high-stakes industry of medical care and the legalities of it. Would you like to just um, tell us a little bit about that and, and how you would advise that industry in patient care? 
I got involved with the legal system after I wrote my first book, which was for nurses. And then I approached attorneys to offer my services testifying about whether nurses did or did not do the right thing in taking care of patients in hospitals. Wow. And that led to more books. And one of my books, incidentally, Trish, was called Nursing Home Litigation, Investigation and Case Preparation. I served as the editor and then recruited the authors to write chapters who were a variety of healthcare practitioners and attorneys at a time in the United States when litigation involving nursing homes or long-term care facilities was just beginning to rise. So that got me a lot of business helping attorneys supply expert witnesses to look at those cases of falls and pressure sores and uh, people who escaped. We call that elopement in the United States. It's a very different kind of elopement than running off to get married, but running out of the facility and then getting locked out, for example, in the middle of the winter does not end well for the older person. Do you know, so that happened to uh, one of my relatives, just they really? were watching, they have dementia, or they've passed now, but they were watching people put the code in. Yes. It, and they just wandered out down the road, down the street, and they were missing for a little while, and then they were collected and brought back. But, oh, my goodness, it gave uh, her, her spouse some really stressful stressful experience that was that was incredible i wonder if um I, and i know the american legal system is different to australia but uh, i would imagine that some of the advice that you would have in a book like that would would translate across would, would you say the basic principles are the same how they're carried out may differ from setting to setting people right. The United States have recognized the ability of somebody with dementia to memorize the code. So there are alarms that can be put on people's clothing or on their wrists or on their ankles mm. so that if they tried to walk out of the doors, it would set off an alarm and presumably somebody sitting at a desk would intercept them before they completely exited the property. But it happens often enough that it's not a foolproof system. Right, and, and you've got issues around, we have had in the reports, sadly, we've had issues around um, patients being mistreated by untrained staff or, or staff who've been hired who don't have the, uh, they might have certain skills but lack empathy and compassion. And so, you know, and I mean, when you're hiring someone, you can't say to them, so were you abused as a kid? Do you have problems with your parents? Do you hate your father? You, I, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to ask those questions. Um, but um, those are the things that we're facing. And also um, the fraud of, of overcharging for services that the, the families don't have any proof that, you know, did this really happen? Um, and then, of course, there are, there's the other side of things where they're just doing their best and, and they're, they're really trying hard. And then someone like you can be of great help to an institution to help them to uh, put things in place. Would that be fair to say? 
It is. You know, it's a very challenging aspect of healthcare. The the elderly people are fragile. They're at risk for being injured in a variety of ways. They are taken care of by largely unskilled staff who are paid at the bottom end of the schedule of wages. And it's difficult, demanding work. It's physically draining. Uh, it's hard to reason with somebody who has dementia. I have met nurses who are very protective of the elderly population and they develop a, a real affection for those individuals. Mm -hmm. But overall, it's a difficult area. Yeah. Now, do you have, uh, I think when I went to Amazon, I saw a string of books under your name. So if people were to go to Amazon, they could maybe put your name in the search bar and those books would come up? They would. Or, Most or of my books, uh, I, have, um, I have written or edited 50 of my own books at this point. There's a couple that are directed towards improving your writing skills or getting published. One's yep. called 52 Writing Tips. Yep. Fast and easy ways to polish your writing. And the other is how to get published. The rest of the books are written for legal nurse consultants and attorneys or nurses spanning okay. back to 1986 was when I had my first book published. Okay. Well, I'm just going to put that in as a banner for people. So go to Amazon or amazon.com.au because Australian Amazon is different and search for Pat's name. If you're in the medical industry or you know people who are, then uh, this may be an interesting resource or, or in nursing homes, this just might be good uh, to browse. And also Pat, you're still available for consulting in that field. Yeah, good. I just wanted, because that's really valuable. I know that we're going to talk about your, your other areas, but this is something that's on my heart because you know, I've got an 80 year old mother that is now at home with, um, she fell a week ago and broke her, she fractured her shoulder in three places. She's living here with me for now, along with dad. So I'm taking care of them and just starting to look at this system. I'm hoping that when it's healed, I'll get another good 15 years of health with her. Mm -hmm. But it's something that um, I'm, I was told on the weekend, I am the sandwich generation. I've got children who are still, you know, they're, they're just becoming young adults, but then, you know, so they're still somewhat looking after them and then the parents, mm -hmm. you know, looking at looking after them at the top end. And, so I, I wanted to make sure that that was um, highlighted for people who might be in a similar situation or have an interest in, uh, in medical. Uh, now, in terms of resilience, you were telling me a, a story of something that you went through with your husband. And I want to hear about that loss and recovery. Uh, and, uh, um, and you've given me permission to uh, dig a little deeper into the the psychology of that and how you were able to it's one thing to say oh you've just got to do this and say this to yourself and think this but for people who really have suffered from losses and when i did it was people who had who could tell me some nuts and bolts about their feelings that was more helpful than uh than oh you're young you'll make it back again you know, or, or comparing tragedy with, oh, you think that's bad. Well, we lost this and it's almost like a competition. That's not helpful. Mm -hmm. So would you just uh, take us back and, and, and share that story. And I might just interrupt from time to time just to ask you a little bit more as we go. Sure. 
Well, my husband came to the United States from India to get his master's degree, and he decided that he wanted to stay. He got a job ultimately with a company that was selling parts for plastic extrusion machines. Wait a he minute. was a research assistant. Oh, okay, yep, gotcha. And then his boss recognized his talent and took him out of the research department and made him director of the sales division, which my husband had no experience in and had to overcome some resistance from some white guys who were saying, what's this little brown guy doing becoming our boss? My wow. husband excelled in it. He did very well and he ultimately became ambitious and wanted his boss's job, which his boss picked up on and fired him just as I was starting graduate school to get my master's degree in nursing. We had $25,000 in the bank, which lasted us a year. This was 1978-1979. And in that year, we never used a deposit slip. We only withdrew. By the time I finished my program, we had roughly $200 left in the bank. My husband wow. was putting together some financing. And as an Indian, he was entitled to minority small business loans from the United States government. So he put together this package that consisted of all of the money that we borrowed, which turned out to be a million dollars. And we had to sign a personal guarantee for people who are not familiar with that, who are watching this. That means that if we defaulted on the loans, everything that we had could be taken. All of wow. our possessions, our house, um, everything. We were optimistic, you know, Trish, we thought this was gonna work out fine. My husband was going to get back at his boss by starting a competing business. It was gonna work out great. And unfortunately, when we borrowed the money, it was in the 1980 when the interest rate was 26% Mm. per month and there's really no way that you can pay back money no. at that rate which we didn't realize at the time at the time we signed that personal guarantee we were very optimistic probably foolishly optimistic so when the business failed then I was six months pregnant the man from the bank came in to look at our house to determine if it was worth taking my husband mm -hmm. called him around and said, oh, do you see that water stain on the ceiling? Do you see that crack on the wall? Trying to point out all the flaws of the house. So Pat, can I ask you, yes. when you when you took that loan out, what what sort of advice did, did you have a broker who was going to get a commission on the loan? Did you have any objective advice or was it someone helping you get it who had a vested interest in you getting that money? The money came from government programs. Okay. Their so, is in handing out money. So there, yes, a government program, okay. But so the government program didn't have any safety net criteria in there in that should the interest go to this rate about serviceability no no right. and so who helped with the closing 
And he did inform us, you know, this is what a personal guarantee means. I remember he handed us the pen and he yeah. watched us sign that document. And what were the interest rates when you started that loan? Oh, they were, st they started at, they remained the same. They were at 24% and then we paid two percentage points over that rate. So that's how it ended up to be 26% interest rate per month. Wow, wow. on a million dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've seen a number of financial changes in the last few decades after the crash in 87 and also uh, recently with the, the global financial crisis. And uh, I mean, America may be different, but um, yeah, that's a, that's a, sometimes when you're young you don't realize that you know say 25 percent means that you know um, that's yeah per annum that means in four years you've paid the whole thing already just in interest so i feel for you because um our legislation here in australia now has got that there are a lot more you have to be a lot more informed they, they have responsibilities to speak to you but it's it's still fairly murky and this is where young optimistic people can get can get caught up in things and, and risk so I feel for you. Hmm. Well, we learned a lot of things from that process. And my, when my husband was successful in negotiating with the lenders, he was able to come back and run the business without the welding component, but he was a, he was a manufacturer's sales rep, a middleman who bought the product from the original equipment manufacturer and sold it to the customer and marked it up in between. Mm -hmm. We could do that in our living room without the responsibilities of the welding shop, which was in a bad part of an urban city and periodically would get broken into and we would get phone calls in the middle of the night. Mr. Iyer, your alarm has gone off. Somebody's been in the building. That gets old, Trish. I can tell you that after you've been called at two o'clock in the morning, four or five times a year, that gets really old. Yeah. So, so we survived. Right, oh. so you renegotiated and brought the business home, reshaped it, and you were able to, you, you were able to make your way from, so you said you were pregnant as well when everything went kaput. Mm -hmm. My goodness, so you're facing having everything taken away by the bank yeah. But your husband was able to renegotiate the loan terms to something that was a little bit more manageable. Is that what happened? It was. He got them to agree to accept 10 cents on the dollar and he sold all of the equipment, sold the building. I envisioned me having this baby and living on the street in, in a cardboard box. You know, that oh was my goodness. what went through my brain. But, you know, when you talk about resilience, Trish, my grandparents came from Ireland on a ship, took two weeks with three kids under the age of six, oh. leaving Ireland in the middle of um, very bad economic times in the 1920s. And they taught my mother and my mother taught her kids that you need to be strong. You need to be a survivor. You need to not feel like the world is going to make exceptions for you. 
I can remember whining. Maybe you whine too, Trish. Life is not fair. That's not fair, Mom. What you're asking me to do is not fair. And she would look at me and say, life is not fair. Mm. Well, that was the end of that whine because I couldn't go any further with it. Not fair is what you pay to ride the bus. <laughs> life isn't fair. I haven't heard that expression, but... I would think that a lot of your listeners and, and a lot of your guests who talk about resiliency talk about the fact that it doesn't do any good to lay down and complain and whine or play the victim. Oh, poor me. You, I was raised with the concept that you're responsible for your decisions, for your destiny. If you don't like the way something is, change it. And recognize that you're pulling from deep strengths that serve you well. If you don't have that philosophy, you will continue to be run over and then wonder, you know, how come I have all this bad luck? It's very fortunate that you had parents that instilled that in you because a lot of people don't. And, and I think that's why it's good to talk about these things online and in different places. And what you've said reminds me, you know, I did a, a very short teaching uh, a week or so ago, uh, it's online, about two questions you need to change. And uh, one of them is going, stepping away, instead of asking, why me? Which is whining and it's victimhood, switching mm. that to, okay, what now? Mm is exactly what you did you stopped saying oh why me this is unfair i'm going to have my baby in a cardboard box in an alley yeah hold on what now what can we so it, it, it mm -hmm. certainly does help that to have an upbringing that puts that in but you can start from anywhere can't you you can you can start and you can learn this stuff i didn't start learning things like this until i was an adult so you know it, i had to really learn it and practice it and then i was forced to um but everybody can become more resilient. It's not just a matter of throwing out a cliche. You've really got to change the way you think. So well done you. And and so you, you got out of that situation. And how did that go? We did. My husband in the process also learned about the stock market. He's very good at numbers. He likes the game element of the stock market. If the news says that this happened, that means that that's going to do this to that stock, which means I need to do this to that stock. And he got involved in options and puts and calls, which are yep. sophisticated investment tools. And we built up our income again. I also used my nursing degree, my bachelor's and master's degree in nursing to get into a teaching role having an education and not relying as a woman thinking, oh, my husband will always be able to make money and take care of me. Well, no, I never accepted that principle either. No, a man is not a plan. Say that again? A man is not a plan. Yes. Hmm. So, very uh, so good. I, I worked and you know, we put away, we paid off my student loans and we put away money and saved for a house. Uh, and then we got a better house and I continue to work. Even now I have sold my business working for attorneys. 
I help people with, as a ghostwriter and as an editor. I enjoy working. I don't believe that it, it, when you turn 65, and I'm past 65, I don't believe that you're suddenly incapable of contributing. So I enjoy what I'm doing. That's just so awesome. Now let, let's go, let's move into that field now and, and talk about what you are doing. How did you make the shift from what you were doing with nursing or, you know, whatever it was that was that shifted you into the books? The, as in, I guess you had so many books out already. I guess you, you I did. Yeah. I think in the last, um, the last six years since I sold the company, I think I've released maybe another four or five books. Mm. I started ghostwriting and editing before I sold the company. And then I had a five-year non-compete, which prevented me from working with the clients whose relationships I had built up over 28 years. It was a 500-mile radius of the headquarters of my company. We have a house in Florida that we live in in the wintertime and a house in New Jersey for the summer. So I could have started working with attorneys in Florida, but I, I chose to stay in the ghostwriting and editing and also coaching nurses to help them with their business. And now so I've just started business. that with legal oh, nursing consulting again. Nurses, you were coaching nurses in business. Nurses, legal nurse, Consultants are nurses who work with attorneys on cases with medical issues. Oh, okay. Interesting. It's a small niche area of nursing and it, it appeals to people who like solving problems, who like the detail-oriented analytical aspects of taking a case. How did she get out of the facility and wander down the road? How long was she gone? What were her injuries? What did the system do to try to change that risk afterwards? You know, pulling yeah. apart all of the pieces. Had she ever done it before? Had they seen her doing it before? Had they made an attempt to intervene? You know, that, that kind of analysis goes into looking at a case. And it's very appealing to a subset of nurses. Right. Well, there are going to be some, that, that's certainly a field that, that our aged care system is, is going to be needing some advice on uh, moving forward with many of them. So that, that's really valuable. So now you're helping other people write their own books. Now, I would imagine being in legal circles, you would have quite a good command of the sort of languaging in books that is um, careful and persuasive. Everything in the legal system is dependent on how something is written. Mm. The wrong word in a report by an expert witness can completely change the opinion of that person. So wow. that requires a lot of attention. It really does. Which brings us to what you're doing now with your website. I'm going to share your website. Well, I've got, it is, it's patire.com uh, or if you're American, it's Pat Iyer. Is that, did I say that right? Pat Iyer. You did. Very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm going to share. This is what her website looks like, what Pat's website looks like if you're going to have a browse. And uh, Pat also has a podcast where she's, what do you cover on your podcast, Pat? 
I do interviews with people who have written nonfiction books and the type that would help enhance their credibility and enable them to monetize their knowledge. So it'd be nonfiction? Nonfiction. Nonfiction and maybe how-to books or uh, people who are uh, experts in a field. So get your so you've got to get your book finished course writing to get business. Can mm -hmm. you give us uh, actually I, I didn't prepare you for this, but maybe just give us uh, one or two tips that people should consider with uh, writing to get business. The first one that comes to my head is actually ask for the sale, but I don't know whether that's to do with the writing. <laughs> I think if you're going to devote the effort to writing a book, which I recommend if you are an entrepreneur, is to pick a topic that you will finish, that will highlight your skills, and will open up opportunities for you. If you had a choice between writing a book about a hobby and writing a book about your business, pick the business topic if you are strategically interested in doing that to get more exposure, build your authority, build your credibility. Okay, so I'm summarizing that as just, all right, let's go with this one. Okay, so pick a topic that you know you'll finish, highlight your skills in it, and that it's in a field that will take your business forward. So you, it's it's relevant to where you want to go and where there's money to be paid for what you know. Correct. Like you said, with if it's a hobby or it's, you know, basket weaving and it's not a, mas a market that's interested in basket weaving, then it's an indulgence, really. That's true. Well said. Okay. Okay, good, because I wanted to summarise that. Uh, I, right, so let's have a look here. Now you, um, so that were really good. Back of my books, by the look way. Look at these books. There you are, 49 books. Got a video there. And now look, what we've got down here, if you scroll down, there are four opt-ins that people can, can benefit from, how to capitalise on your book and make big bucks. But you also offer a free editing checklist because sometimes we don't see the mistakes that are in front of us and I've noticed with my books that when I look at them on a screen I pick up different things that need to be edited than when I'm looking at it you know on on actual paper mm -hmm. so you know Grammarly doesn't always cut it as good as it is so it is good to have have someone help you with that and you've got secrets of writing a book very good and 10 foolproof ways to proofread your book oh that looks interesting too so people can go there, they can have a look at those and opt into whichever is appealing for them, any and all. And there we go. So you offer book coaching, you offer editing. Uh, and people can, oh, here we go, 52 writing tips, fast and easy ways to polish your writing. Well, that looks really, really helpful. So thank you, Pat. This has been so informative and helpful. It's been a delight to have you on and hear not just your background, which does give you the credibility, but just your personal story of, of, you know, you're not just writing books and telling people what to do. You've actually lived some experience there that, that is worthwhile and people can relate to that. Uh, and then, you know what, if you have got a book in you or you've been working on one, then you can visit Pat's website and uh, maybe find out whether that's 
she can be of, of help to you in, in your book writing experience to get it closer to finished and marketed and out there. So thank you so much, Pat. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you, Trish. I would encourage anyone who is listening, who is thinking about writing a book is don't keep it trapped inside you. You've got information that will help other people overcome problems and challenges they're facing and they need to hear from you. So get it done, get it out of your head and into somebody else's hands. This is Pat Iyer with Legal Nurse Podcast. I've been talking with Sharon Banks-Tarr about an area that gives rise to a lot of litigation, and that is injuries among the elderly, specifically related to falls. Sharon is a legal nurse consultant and until very recently, a nursing home surveyor for the state of Maryland. Sharon, we talked about falls. What are some of the key points that we covered in your show? We covered how common are injuries with falls. Uh, There was a focus on environmental factors that contribute to falls. Talking about pros and cons, um, and a couple of those were bed alarms, low bids, furniture that's too large for a room. Um, And also I spoke about the questions that surveyors can ask that provoke risk management analysis within the facility. Excellent. Be sure to listen to Sharon's podcast as we talk about falls in the elderly, something that affects all of us as we age and also if we have older parents, as well as if we're working with attorneys on long-term care cases. Falls are very common and injurious falls can result in big injuries to patients. Be sure to come back and listen to Sharon. And thank you so much for being a listener or a viewer of our podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank you.